0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org.
1: Isaiah 60
0: Arise,
1: shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and exult, because the the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebe- ne- Neboeth Nebo- shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first shall bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish, those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The, Lord, the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, and beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious." The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow low, shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob." Instead of bronze, I will bring gold, and instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseer's peace and your taskmaster's righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation and destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, for, uh, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord." In its time, I will hasten it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country in another way. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let's pray. God, we now come to a time in which we we seek to herald um, what you've done, to herald your word. Pray that you would honor it, that your spirit would work in it, that we would see this star as a light for all the nations, um, that we'd see this star as a light for all of us and for our neighbors. So, Lord, do your work in your name. Amen. There's a, a funny social norm that we're getting to the end of in our day, and it's what do you do during December When you check out the grocery store, what do you say to the grocery clerk? Do you say, happy holidays? Do you say the very provocative, Merry Christmas? Are you happy? Were you glad when December 26th came because you no longer had to deal with this awkward tension in your own conscience? This is actually 12 days of Christmas, so you still have to deal with it until those days are over. But anyways, um, uh, that that is a reality that we have to deal with too. Um, Kids, you might have expected a different Christmas present under the tree this year. Or you might have expected that after you opened all your Christmas presents... Everything was just going to be wonderful. Um, and then it hit you. The sugar um, crash happened or the present was not what you wanted. Um, this same thing happens for the leaders in Jerusalem. They were troubled that the Christ would come in the way that he did. They didn't want to have to say Merry Christmas to Roman soldiers or to political leaders that were over them. Where we're going to go today is, is, is we are going to look at throughout history, how has God provided light to all people, and how is, how is he doing that now in this moment, to where a few wise men come and worship him for what he's doing. We're going to start that, first in Genesis 1. So lest we forget who gives light to the world, God spoke light into existence the first day of creation. This is a God who loves to give light. Um, Not only that, he loves to make his creation in such a way that we have eyes to see it. He loves to make creatures that can see a couple of days ago, Glory shining off of the snow on the trees. see in the summer, um, the, the sun reflecting on blades of grass as the wind blows through it. He delighted to give a sun to where we could see. He loves to create things in such a way that we relish in what he's made and relish in who he is. And we give him praise for it. But after the fall of Adam, generation after generation was cast into a deep darkness. In our own sinful pride, there was a veil cast over our hearts, cast over the hearts of the nations to where we could not see God, we did not want God or his ways. But God, God ordained a plan to redeem his creation and destroy Take over, overcome darkness with light, to destroy the works of the devil, to extend grace, his grace, and make a people for himself. So he did this by raising a nation for himself, and he intended to, by this nation, reconcile all people for himself. That is where we're going today. This morning, we're going to seek to understand how this star in Matthew 2 um, how it signifies a light for all nations. So we're going to look at how that star, this star points to Jesus Christ, the light that God has promised to give to all the world, a little child that would ultimately be the delight that would bring all people into fellowship with the Father of this Christ. This is a celebration of Epiphany. Um, epiphany means... Manifestation. God is manifesting Himself in Christ. And so He is the light of the world. This is Epiphany. There's a whole season. Starts on January 6th. We are preparing for going into Epiphany. And here's where we're going to prepare in Matthew 2. There's three things I want to touch on from um, this text. Let me just give you a brief overview, and then we're going to dive in some more detail. So first, we'll see how leaders and nations are confronted with the incarnation of Jesus. How leaders and nations are confronted with God. Second, we'll ponder the star, which is the light of the world. And third, we'll look at a God who welcomes the nations in, who welcomes the nations into himself. And what that means for our church. So first, um, there is one, this God, who brings all kings, nations, and all wise men before him, ultimately having to answer to him. So kings, magicians, and nations all deal with him. And as a side note, um, when I... When you hear magicians or wise men this morning, I want you to think of you know what these what these wise men were doing is they were astrologers. They had visions. They would ha- be able to interpret dreams. Um, all of this leading to, I, I th- you should think of these these wise men like wizards, not just your ordinary kings or. Um, Or or just magicians like magicians you would see in our day who just do simple card tricks. You don't know what's going on. Um, You should be baffled by these people coming to bear gifts to King Jesus. So again, um, this king comes in Matthew 2, and he's the person that everyone has to deal with. You can even say, um, what's happening in this passage is how it's it's dividing people into two groups, all leaders and all peoples are being confronted with this Christ. Even people from the old testament, you could you could shove into this little passage to say these two groups represent how all people respond to this God. They all either come to Him in worship or they come terrified. Hating him, scheming against him. I'm going to draw from a couple of those Old Testament examples, and then we'll look more at the specific characters in Matthew 2. So first, Pharaoh and all Egypt. Um, they were confronted with Israel. They, Israel came into Egypt, and Israel blessed Egypt. Throughout a time of famine, Joseph helped them be able to um, be able to thrive, be able to overcome this famine, and plan for it. But eventually, Israel became grew to a size in which they became a political threat. I'm giving you a very short summation of this. So, Egypt, in response to that political threat, oppressed God's people. Long story short, the gods of Egypt went to war with the God of Israel, and they were magicians. They were magicians who uh, were in Pharaoh's court and were tirelessly working to match up against the God of Israel, the God, Moses' God. And these magicians were meddling with dark arts. They thought that, that their gods... Gods of Egypt were the ones who provided the abilities for them to do these things. Their hearts were hardened. Looking at another example in the book of Daniel, we have Nebuchadnezzar. Also magicians. His court, sorcerers, enchanters, magical people. And none of them were able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He wouldn't tell them what dream he had. But none of them were able to interpret it. And here comes Daniel, a man who was willing to submit all of his own abilities, everything, to God. And what was he able to do? He was able to tell Nebuchadnezzar the meaning of this dream. He didn't depend on his own strength to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but he submitted himself to the mercies of God, so it says in Daniel 2. And even when it, so, so that even when Israel was in exile, what God was doing here is, Israel was a light to Babylon. We could go on and on throughout the whole Old Testament showing ways that Israel and their God was a light to the nations. All confronted with the God of the universe. So when we come back to Matthew 2, you should see this stark contrast happening between the leaders of Jerusalem and the magicians or wizards from the east. These two groups represent every leader. I want you to see it with me. I'm going to read these first six verses. Um, So if you've closed your Bible, I encourage you to open it back up and read this with me. and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod, Herod, the king of the Jews and the religious leaders, felt troubled at Jesus' birth. You should read that as, as anxious. They were terrified. Um, verse 3 tells us they, um, these chief priests and scribes, and I, when it says all Jerusalem, I'm what you should read there is including the chief priests and scribes, they were also troubled. Um, so it says there in verse 3, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, and the, these chief priests and scribes who were anticipating the Christ were troubled. So first Herod, Herod knew the threat that Christ would pose um, to him. His whole job as king over this little province was to keep things in order, to prevent revolts. And so when he hears of a Christ for Israel, um, recent history would show, oh, this, this is trouble. Israel may rise up against Rome, and he is the one who has to stop it. We would see later... We'll see later in Matthew, um, the end of chapter 2, Herod killing a whole city of children two and under to prevent this political threat. So like Pharaoh, Herod's heart was hardened. And then you have the scribes. The scribes and the chief priests who knew the scriptures, they knew, um, as they told Herod, in Bethlehem of Judea, they, they knew where he was to be born, and they were troubled by his coming. Why were they troubled? Well, they um, were comfortable. They had certain status in society at this point. There um, had been these, again, the political overthrows that happened before that would put them in not as good of a place with a ruler like Herod, and so they weren't very interested in stirring the pot with Rome. So this passage speaks nothing of the chief priests and scribes going to see this Christ because they too were terrified. But what was God doing while that was happening? There were also wizards from the east who knew the scriptures as well. They had read the same Old Testament prophecies that the religious leaders had, but they believed him. But they believed God. And they saw this star coming. They're, they're probably coming from either Syria or Persia to worship this child. And they knew Israel was a light to, light to the nations and that God had promised to dwell with them. And they came and fell prostrate before this child in verse 11. So like Daniel, here are wizards that come to Christ willing to submit all of themselves to God. Seeking to understand the light that God is to the world. So both groups saw the political implications of who this child was, yet Herod and the religious leaders had veiled hearts they sought to conserve their power rather than submit their power to God but God all the while was bringing in the first fruits of the gentiles into the church he was guiding them to the light of the world so all people answer to Jesus and we looked at a couple examples of how this happened in the Old Testament. Um, so what, what this is doing here with, with these wise men is it's showing whether you are an economist, you're a lawmaker, you're any other religious party in the Eastern world, in the whole world, every human soul is faced with this king of the Jews. And in response, they can either serve this king they can build his kingdom, or they can rage against him. They can scheme to tear his kingdom down. We're going to come back to that, but first, let's look at um, the star. Star is a very exciting part. Um, what? How? How did? From studying the Old Testament scriptures, how did these magi, these wizards, know um, that there would be a child? They come to worship a king. In uh, Numbers twenty four seventeen, Balaam, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. So in the ancient world, when there was a star, what that star represented? A star appears. It signified the heralding of the birth of a king. So in verse 2, this is fascinating that the wizards came and they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. So they knew that this was his star and the magicians came to worship this king who was to be born in Bethlehem. Now, scholars have a number of different ideas of of what exactly the star is. Um, Might have been a comet, supernova, which would have lasted maybe about four months in the sky. A couple of planets aligning at just the right time of Jesus' birth. So some believe that could have been Saturn and Jupiter aligning. Or it could have been a supernatural light that God simply spoke into existence. And we need to understand, um, I want to seek to understand with you what the best option is. So the star itself is mentioned on a couple different occasions. Um, First, in verse 2, as we just read, it brings the wise men to Jerusalem. And the second occasion, in verse 9, says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold... The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. I don't know how many of you have ever seen a star rest somewhere or move, guide you somewhere. You have, love to hear about it. Um, But I believe that this, um, this star is something that God spoke into existence. To herald his own son into the world. Would you just stop and consider the beauty of that? That God would use um, all the promises that he gave throughout the Old Testament and the norms of the ancient world, he would use a star to show that the God of the universe was coming into the world. Our God is amazing. Here in the face of sheer darkness and just corruption from Jerusalem itself, God was doing, was, he was working his plan. God speaks light into sheer darkness and corruption. So this star led wizards to a house in Bethlehem to meet the king of the Jews. And, and this, the timing of this between those two verses, it could have been up to two years based on, on what, um, what we see about Herod killing every child two years and younger. Um, we don't know. We're not given that information. It could have, it could have been up to two years long. Um, but what did they come to see? What did these kings come to see? We read Isaiah 60 this morning and what Isaiah 60 says in the first couple of verses, i read a, a little section from verse 1 and 3. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. But the Lord will arise upon you and His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So we we... Um, have anticipated that God would make Israel a light to the world. But Israel repeatedly fails at that. God never fails. Um, Israel Israel fell into, they, they slipped into a misunderstanding of what it meant that they are God's people. When you look at Genesis 12, and the promise that God gave to Abraham, to Abram, when he, he told him to look up at the stars, that they would be as many, he would make Abram and his offspring as many the stars of the sky. This, what he wasn't saying there, he wasn't saying, you each will be unique, twinkling stars, that are each so valuable in and of yourselves, and people will just want to flock to you. No, he was emphasizing how his promises to bring a people for himself out of darkness, his, his grace um, would make them into a nation just sheerly because he is a God of love and he is a God who loves um, to make a people for himself. So it was not something that was about thinking, oh, I'm, we're each our own little unique twinkling stars um, like maybe much like what the chief priests and scribes had fallen into where they were becoming absorbed in themselves and in their own status. No, he made um, a nation, the laws of a nation, the historic blessings of Israel to be something that would shine as a light for all people to point to God. And ultimately, his plan had always been for it to point to Jesus Christ. So that, um, what God was doing is he was building the city of God with man. And Israel failed at that. But God never fails. God's own son was making a way into fellowship with him. And this light, this little child that God delighted in, this son in whom he's well pleased, he would be the faithful Israel. Christ's life is a light that shone to all people. And, and he did two things here. What God did is he held to his promises. So while Israel was faithless, throughout all the book of Matthew, Jesus was the faithful Israel. He fulfilled all that. All that Israel was supposed to be. And two, God came to dwell with man in Jesus Christ, which is what we celebrate for Advent, Emmanuel, God with us. So God promised to one day draw all kings, all nations, all people to himself, the light of the nations. And while chief priests, scribes, and Herod were working hard to scheme just to conserve their own blip, on the radar, God was preparing the hearts of wizards to submit their lives to God. Um, this little child would show the wizards. We don't know how many. Could have been three. Um, I like to think it was 20. Um, but um, he would have taught them how to use astrology, how to use interpretation of dreams, their visions, their political influence to honor the reign of Christ in all of their lives. These promises are beautiful and precious, and the wise men understood it. Does your heart tremble before this child? Do you drop in worship and just sheer joy into seeing and seeing again this year Christ? fulfilling all that God had promised. Okay, so we we looked at how all all nations and all kings and all wise men have to be are confronted with this God and with Jesus Christ. We looked at this star and what it signifies, and now I want to look at how God is taking the nation somewhere. Um the wise men, what they did in, the, um, in, in coming, they worshipped him and they also brought gifts. So in verse 11, it says, in the middle of verse 11, Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Each of these gifts um, ties to what was used in the temple. The Holy of Holies was lined with gold. Frankincense was used in grain and gift offerings in the temple. Um, The the priests burned myrrh at the altar. And all of this was laid before Christ. Who would be the new temple? Not just for the Jews, um, but even for wise men from the East. So these wise men... They were in um, the Holy of Holies, the new Holy of Holies, in the presence of Christ, and they were not burned up. They dropped in worship. And we've spoken of Christ's life. We have to also look at his death and his resurrection in this. Christ's death satisfied the wrath of God against the nation's. It tore down the curtain between the Gentiles and himself, giving hope to all the nations. Matthew 2 was just the beginning. It was just the first fruits. The disciples would see Jesus confronting many more political leaders and religious leaders throughout his life, um, where some would lie prostrate before him and others would scheme against him. But what happens in Matthew 28 after Christ's death and resurrection? Jesus sends his disciples out by the power of his name, by the spirit to disciple the nations. Life in Christ, um, it's, it's not a distant heavenly reality. It is not a Gnostic thing. Jesus wields light for the nations here and now. And he has been actively spreading his light through the church for 2,000 years. By his light in the world, um, the church, Christ, is saving souls who turn around and point others to Christ by their own personal testimonies, by, by being inspired in life in Christ to make better laws, to make better economic systems. To make better coffee. Inspired by what God loves and by what he hates. Christ is redeeming this world. This world is coming into his light. So do you see it? And how God is already making our world better. Do you have joy in that this Christmas season? This epiphany season? For those that are uncomfortable um, with being political as Christians, we have to reckon with this question. Where else would the nations go? Where else would your neighbor go? Look at the results of humanism. Where has it taken people? Look at the results of an attempt to um, have just some kind of proposed neutrality. this world is not neutral. there is light, and there is darkness. Christ is this light, and this light is for every human heart, and if we are to be in his presence, Christ leaves no room for dark, hidden corners in our own lives in any part of society all people have to lay down their skills their jobs their relationships before the king of kings so are there limits to where this applies I'm going to quote um, from Doug Wilson on this can you not arrange to take your faith indoors to make it a private matter keep it away from the rest of us and here is the answer no no the star appeared in the sky to announce the birth of one who would hold a universal scepter and such scepters are not held privately or stored in closets. Church, God has tasked us to be in Christ a light to the nations. So how will wizards or your neighbors, I don't know if you know any wizards, if you do, you connect me to them. But, how will they know the scriptures the scriptures unless it's heralded to them we too were once far off we too were once trying to make this world magically work in our favor but god saved us out of darkness church god has tasked us to direct the eyes of all to himself as their light. In him we can be the light of the world. Do not grow comfortable like the chief priests and scribes. The children um, or the successors of the chief priests and scribes would one day cry out that they would take the guilt of the blood of the Christ upon themselves the king of the Jews. Um, I I don't think that Matthew uh, was unintentional in only calling Jesus the king of the Jews three times. He, He only called him king of the Jews three times, once here in Matthew 2. And the next place he does it is in Matthew 27. And I want you to look there with me. There's two more occasions here. And, and one, in the midst of the soldiers mocking this Christ, putting a, a, a um, scarlet robe on him, a crown of thorns. In verse 30, it says, And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, took the reed, and struck him on the head. And then look lower. In verse 37, and over his head, they put the ch- this charge against him, which read, this is the Jesus, the king of the Jews, crucified. When you see Jesus, do you have exceeding joy? Um, or do you curse him? Uh, these, these chief priests and the scribes, Their children are the ones who crucified him. Do you teach your children just to think good, distant things about this Jesus, or do you want them to go all in? Do you make a fool of yourself for your neighbors, with your neighbors, just so that they might know the light of the world? Or are you apathetic? Do you put off sharing this joy until you're theologically sound enough or until your family has enough margin to maybe be a light to the world. In Christ, this is a command that we've been given in Matthew 28, that we are to disciple the nations. Do not delay from talking about this grace that we have received from the King of the Jews. Take heart that God has manifested himself. Take heart that Jesus is the light of the world. And to quote again from our passage today, he is our shepherd. He will guide us. Take heart that we should pray boldly for our neighbors, for our families, for politicians, for all people to come to this light. Christ has magnified his name in 2022. He will magnify his name in 2023. And there will be a day where instead of the sun... He will be our light for all eternity. So take heart, take faith that the Spirit is con- will continue to bring all people, including wizards, to himself. Would you pray with me? God, you are gracious in making us people for your own possession and making us a people that will ultimately be your new temple, singing to you for all eternity with joy. I pray that that would be something that we, your your spirit would give us the ability to embody more and more throughout our lives and the lives of our children and our grandchildren. Lord, um, would you teach us this epiphany season how to behold this child to the nations. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.